We hope you're blessed and encouraged by the following study from Calvary Chapel, El Mani. It's our simple prayer that you would grow stronger and deeper in an intimate and personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Should you have any questions, please feel free to contact us here at Calvary Chapel, El Mani. Open up to 1 Chronicles chapter 19. As Lord willing, this evening we're going to cover a couple of chapters and as I was studying it, and you know how it is, like, when you guys are, are for those of you who teach, um, you're super excited. You're like, man, this is such a special message, and it's only a Thursday, right? And, uh, um, but I just pray that by the Holy Spirit, uh, you guys would see it kind of the same way I do. I, I feel like tonight is a real a big Bible study. There are things here that I think are so needed for us tonight, and I believe that God brought everybody here because uh, He knows that these are things that we really need to hear. You know, as we approach this chapter, I can't help but consider the way the kingdom of Israel expanded under the leadership of David. You know, most people uh, in their Bibles, in the back of their Bibles, they have maps of the kingdom of Israel under the leadership of Saul. And it's kind of given a certain color, and then it's contrasted to the kingdom of Israel under David's leadership. And, and if you were to look at those maps, you'll notice the growth and expansion in areas that were conquered, areas that were conquered under David's leadership. And we'll you know, go through Chronicles, and I think back in chapter 18, it kind of gives us a summary of that expansion, but... In chapters 19 and 20, they give us some details of those victories. Victories that I think uh, tonight God wants us to glean from. You know, growth that we need uh, personally. You know, not necessarily for lands, not necessarily for geography, not for maps, but for life, uh, for missions in life. Spiritually and personally, I believe that God has things in our own individual lives that need to be conquered. We need to grow. We need to change. We need to be more and more like Jesus Christ. We need to have that authority over the demonic realm, to be able to have the victory over the influences of the world, and even the, the way that our own flesh is the one that oftentimes defeats us. And I think that sometimes Christians are nonchalant, they're casual, they're lackadaisical in their zeal to have a complete conquest. And what God wants to give us is a complete victory. And I think we're going to see glimpses of that in our study today. I mean, I don't know what you guys might be struggling with. You know, maybe you're here today and you're defeated. You are defeated by anger. Maybe you have no self-control. You are defeated with the lack of self-control. And whatever it might be, God wants to give you victory over those things. God wants you to grow. You need to walk in his power and his wisdom. It's so important, especially if you struggle with those things, because I think a lot of people do. The Bible says this in Proverbs 16, 32, he who is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he who rules his spirit than he who takes a city. You know, and so it might be the lack of self-control. It might be anger 
Or maybe the bottom line is when you're honestly assessing your life, and you might have victories in other areas of life and maybe other missions or ministries, but you don't have victory in your marriage. God says, I want, I want victory there. I mean, some don't think it's possible, but it is. You might need victory in friendships or fellowships. You might need victory in stewardships, the way that you manage your money, the way that you give to God, whether it be tithes or offerings. It, it might be your prayer life, issues of pride, maybe purity, pornography. Some struggle with bitterness. Some are struggling with laziness. I don't know what it is. We have to examine our life, and whatever the case might be for me, I think that we can see in our text this evening what I would call principles for victory. I wonder if there's anyone here this evening interested in some sort of victory. You know, it's been said that as Christians, we don't fight for victory, we fight from victory. And I love that truth. Jesus Christ has given us everything we need to win, and he's won the war. But along the way, there are battles that we must fight. We need to follow through, you know, if I could say it that way, because the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 15, 57, thanks be to God who gives us the victory through, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And so let's make sure we go through, we follow through Jesus. And what we see really in the Bible is David is actually a picture of Jesus. And so watch what happens when we live under the leadership of his anointed kingship. Look what happens here in verse 1 of First Chronicles 19. It said, It happened after this, that Nahash, the king of the people of Ammon, died, and his son reigned in his place. Then David said, I will show kindness to Hanan, the son of Nahash, because his father showed kindness to me. And so David sent messengers to comfort him concerning his father, and David's servants came to Hanan in the land of the people of Ammon in order to comfort him. If you were to study the, the parallel passage, it's pretty much the verbatim the same. It's over in 2 Samuel uh, chapter 10. And you, you follow the chronology, uh, the history of really what was going on in David's life. What you would discover in 2 Samuel is David had just showed kindness to Mephibosheth. He had just shown kindness to Mephibosheth. We read that in 2 Samuel chapter 9, verse 1. Is there still anyone who is left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? And so that was kind of where David was. I want to show kindness to someone from Saul's descendants. And then here he also wants to show kindness, doesn't he? Look at verse 2. I will show kindness, it says, to Hanan, the son of Nahash. Why? Because his father showed him kindness and his father had passed away. You know, it's interesting, the Hebrew word uh, here, translated kindness, is often translated loving kindness. You know, and that was David's heart. And, you know, here at the passing of Hanan's dad, his kindness is stirred up, his compassion goes out, and he sends comforters on his behalf. You know, when I was reading this right here, 
I think it kind of resonates within us, doesn't it? Because we just got done praying for three families who have lost parents. And so we can kind of know how this feels. And I was telling my wife, you know, we got to to send them a card we have to somehow show kindness you you have that desire whenever you hear of such things happening and and so it's interesting david has that heart we can relate to it i think it resonates within us and something else that is kind of interesting it's found within the hebrew language it reveals that something even greater is happening here the phrase show kindness can carry the meaning of making a covenant. And so it it may have been David's desire not only to comfort Hanan, but also to make a treaty with him. And I think if we look at it from that political angle, I think that kind of makes a lot of sense. The dad dies, you send some comforters to not only show them that, you know, element of kindness, but also to maybe to enter into a covenant with the new leadership, right? And, and just at face value, I think that's reasonable to infer that David wanted a covenant. He wanted to be friends with these neighbors. If you were to look at a map, you'd see the Ammonites right there, just on the other side of the Jordan. They're right there, just on uh, the east side. And so this right here is actually a great opportunity for the Ammonites, right? But... You know, watch what happens. In verse 3, it says, And the princes of the people of Ammon said to Hanan, Do you think that David really honors your father because he has set comforters to you? Did his servants not come to you to search and to overthrow and to spy out the land? Therefore Hanan took David's servants, shaved them, and cut off their garments in the middle at their buttocks and sent them away. Then some went and told David about the men, and he sent to meet them, because the men were greatly ashamed. And the king said, Wait at Jericho until your beards have grown, and then return. David wants to show kindness, loving kindness. The the Hebrew word is rooted in mercy. And David wants to establish a covenant with them, be friends with his neighbors to the east. But the princes, apparently, of the people of Ammon, they doubted David's sincerity. Their uh, minds, basically, were in the gutter. They had gutter minds. They feared the worst. They, they thought the worst. They thought that David had sent spies to search and to overthrow the kingdom, right? And, and why did they do that? Well, apparently because this is the type of heart that they had. This is what they would have done. This is probably already in their DNA. This is the type of men that they were. And they therefore suspected David of doing something they themselves would do. And you know that you see that they're hiding something. You know, they got to be hiding something, David, these young princes said. Why? Because they were hiding something. Right, And so, um, there's an example of a, another young king acting foolishly, listening to foolish counsel. What does he do? He shaves them. You know, he shaves them and cuts their garments to expose their nakedness. And you may think, well, that's not a big deal. I mean, I went to Cambodia and I got a shave and that was kind of nice, you know. But in those days, man, your beard, as a Hebrew, oh, your beard 
was everything. According to Torah and Jewish traditions, the beard was a symbol of masculinity. And so this right here was an incredible humiliation. Jewish men were supposed to keep their beards intact, according to Leviticus 19.27 and Leviticus 21 verse 5 and Deuteronomy 14 verses 1 through 2. And therefore to tamper with a man's beard was a great insult. All Jews were to be dressed modestly. And so exposing the body was even more embarrassing. It was treating them, really what it was, was treating them as though they were slaves, they were already slaves and prisoners of war. Because if you read Isaiah chapter 20, if you read verses 3 and 4, it talks about the people being carried away as prisoners. They were carried away with their clothing cut off in the same place, marching away and, and shaved. And so, in essence, that's what they're saying. It was like a, a real loud, you know, declaration of, of war. We're going to take you guys, and we're going to take you prisoner, and we're going to humiliate you, you know. And, and for the Jews, this was a, a big thing, right? You know, in that culture, many men would rather die than to have their beards shaved off because to be clean-shaven was actually the mark of a slave, but free men wore beards. And so, you know, David finds out about this and he tells the men, you wait in Jericho until your beards grow back. How long do you think that was? Well, it depends. Huh? <laughs> Some guys, they grow a beard like that. Hey, I saw you last week. What happened, man? I could grow a real long beard just to let you know, but my wife won't let me, you know, so... Sometimes you see these guys and they're, they're you know, like I saw Angel the, right now and, you know, he was, uh, he, he was bending something. I'm like, man, you're so strong, bro. That's why your beard grew so fast. Huh? You, know, you see these guys and, you know, the baseball teams or whatever and the big beards. And I, I think it kind of goes through phases, the way that, you know, culture sees things. But, um, you know, it, you got to know, you got to know in this day and age, you know, this was huge. Um, they say... It could have taken them, and I know this sounds like a long time, depending on how long their beards were, it could have taken them six years to grow their beards back. And so David just says, you know what, you stay there. You stay there. You wait until your, your beards are grown, and then you come back. A huge thing. This is a huge declaration of war, what the enemy's trying to do. And, and if I could just stop for a moment and just kind of bring it into practical application, this is what the devil is trying to do to you. And I'm not talking just about non-believers. Of course non-believers. You know, he's got them in his clutches and he's carrying them to hell. But I'm also talking about believers. I'm talking about Christians who, who maybe they have a saved soul, but they're living a wasted life. I'm talking about Christians where the enemy and the world and the flesh, they have a stronghold. And it's almost like they've shaven you of your strength and your glory. And it's an embarrassment. You know, today I went and I spent a few hours actually intervening with someone who has been struggling with drugs. And it, it's been a battle. And, it, and, you know, we had to go in there and just, 
you know, just say, we can't allow this to ruin your life anymore. You know, we had to take away their phone and we had to take away, you know, their money. We had to take control over that. Why? Because the enemy, I I could see what he's doing because I I saw a little bit about this life and I can see that he's taken this life, this beautiful life, this beautiful life, and he's just dragging it through the mud. And that's, that's what he wants to do. He wants to shave the beards and cut off their clothes to expose the nakedness and the humiliation, thinking that he can have control over us. And oftentimes, I'm afraid, from what I see in the church, that he, he very well does. And there's those marriages, and it's not, it's not in order. And there are those Christians, and they don't have the power to overcome sin. They do the same thing every day. They're not walking in the power of God for their life. Why? Because this is exactly what, what's happened here. And, and so, you know, looking at this, it's pretty interesting. You know, David tells him to wait there. I'm not 100% sure, but I'm pretty sure that the war had already begun, right? And and so notice what happens in verse 6. It says, When the people of Ammon saw that they had made themselves repulsive to David, Hanan and the people of Ammon sent a thousand talents of silver to hire for themselves chariots and horsemen from Mesopotamia and from Syrian, Ma'aka, and from Zobah. And so they hired for themselves 32,000, think about that, chariots, with the king of Ma'aka and his people who came and encamped before Mediba, and also the people of Ammon gathered together from their cities and came to battle. Now when David heard of it, he sent Joab and all the army of the mighty men. And, and, I, and I think as we go through our study today, you guys are going to trip on how detailed God describes the battle against the flesh, the world, and the demons. And the battle against the flesh, the world, and the demons increases in intensity and frequency, and it doesn't end until we're in glory. Now, so when the Ammonites find out that David is repulsed, and, and, I, and to me, when I read that, I was like, okay, thank God David was repulsed. There's probably some Christians that wouldn't be repulsed by that. Oh, well, you know, shucks. Kind of messed up a little bit, and yeah, the enemy kind of did a little thing here, but we're just going to kind of marry on and do our own thing. No! War! There needed to be war. There are some politicians and you know, some countries, they'll do this and they'll do that because they know that guy's not going to do anything. And I think there are some Christians like that. I'm not going to do anything different. I'm not going to pray. I'm not going to fast. I'm not going to read my Bible. I'm not going to surrender. And David just said, you know, this is, this is real. I'm repulsed by this activity. The Hebrew word, it, it, it means to stink. <laughs> you know, 
It was beyond a bad smell, however. It was loathsome to the nostrils of David. What they did was absolutely an abomination. They had brought reproach to the living God. And David said, I will not put up with this. You know, when King Hanan allowed his officials to mistreat the delegation, he not only insulted the men personally, but he also insulted the king and his God who sent them and the nation they represented. In short, it was a declaration of war on them and their God. And so right away, you know, right away the war begins and and the enemy begins to assemble his army. Think about this, 32,000 chariots. That's like, uh, I don't know, 32,000 tanks, right? Uh, the horsemen are multiplied. Second Samuel chapter 10, verse 6 mentions there were 22,000 foot soldiers involved. And then there in verse 7, the other people of Ammon are mentioned. And so the Ammonites uh, go and uh, they want other enemies. They want other people to join them, the Syrians, right? And so they're gathering together. Um, this is a lot of firepower. And when the enemy comes against you or whatever that struggle might be, some people are like, well, you know, it's kind of the way I was wired. It, it's my nature, you know. And they feel like they can overcome because of the formidable forces that are against them. And I just want to tell you, don't buy that for a second. God wants us to have victory in every area of our life. God wants us to have victory in every relationship that we have. It doesn't mean that they're going to act the way you want them to act. That's not what matters. What matters is your joy isn't anchored to them. And so, you know, formidable opposition. How could Israel possibly win? Notice again there in verse 8, however, look what it says. Now, when David heard of it, he sent Joab and all the army of the mighty men. How are you going to win? How are we going to win? Well, thank God for David. And thank God for the mighty men of David. You know, chronologically speaking in the Bible, historically speaking in the Bible, this is the first time the mighty men are mentioned. And it's, it's definitely insightful for us. This is now what we would call the rise of God's army. You see, guys, in order to get victory for you and for me and for this church and for that person over there and for this city and for this valley and this state and this country and this world because nothing is too hard for God. It can't just be, however, a mighty man. It has to be mighty men. Plural, mighty men and women who understand that they're part of God's army. That's why I like William Booth so much. I, I, I got the opportunity to, to watch a, a cartoon the other day about William Booth and the Salvation Army. 
And uh, uh, Robert actually got us these videos. And for those of you who, you know, um, are members of our lend lending library, uh, Shelly's going to put those videos in this Sunday. Right, Shell? And um, you guys can rent them out, and they will make you cry. <laughs> they will make you weep. They will make you pray and ask God to make you such a person like, you know, William Booth or, you know, I don't know, Jim Elliott or, you know, Amy Carmichael or Perpetua, that, that martyr there in the Roman Colosseum. I mean, each of these people here, when you see it, it's an amazing story. The one with William Booth, I mean, that one really got me. That was a time where there were 300 people living in every acre of East London. That was a time in London that was so captivated by the devil that every fifth house was a gin house. So many people were drinking in those days, even the kids, that they made special steps for the kids to come up and to drink liquor. It was at that time that God really stirred up the heart of William Booth and man, it was so amazing when you watch and you see all that happen. He had this vision of God's army. And that's why they call it, you guys know it today, right? The Salvation Army. Because it's not just mighty man, it's mighty men. And they fight, not with weapons of this world, right? But the, but the weapons of God's warfare. They're not carnal, but they're mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. And I just love that story there. It was like this salvation army, this mighty men were rising up and God did such an amazing work. And so we read in verse 9 that the people of Ammon, they came out and put themselves in battle array before the gate of the city. So they were kind of out there. And the kings who had come were by themselves in the field. And so that's the Syrians. So when Joab saw that the battle line was against him before and behind, he chose some of Israel's best and put them in battle array against the Syrians. And the rest of the people he put under his command, the command of Abishai, his brother. And they set themselves in battle array against the people of Ammon. And then he said, if the Syrians are too strong for me, then you shall help me. But if the people of Ammon are too strong for you, then I will help you. Be of good courage and let us be strong for our people and for the cities of our God. And may the Lord do what is good in his sight. I don't know if you've ever studied, like, you know, warfare. Um, I'm not an expert by any means, but I do know this, that many, many generals who were surrounded, surrendered. Many generals throughout history who were surrounded, surrendered. But what we find right here is that that's not what happens with God's people. Uh, it's, it's so cool. And here's where I think it, it can get really, really practical. Um, you know, I, don't you guys love verse 12 and 13? If you don't, you need to get saved right now. Re repeat after me. 
Lord, I'm a sinner. You, 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 you should, that, those are one of the most beautiful verses in the whole Bible. And it's a truth uh, that is so powerful. He said, you fight the Syrians, we'll fight the Ammonites. If they're too strong for you, then we'll come and help you. And if they're too strong for me, will you please come and help me? Isn't that an awesome plan for teamwork? Right? I told you guys earlier, it can't be the mighty man. It's got to be the mighty men. You can't be alone. You have to have other people who are fighting this fight with you, right? Proverbs chapter 18, verse 1, it says, A man who isolates himself seeks his own desire. He rages against all wise judgment. I mean, there are some people, they're, they're, they're really, truly, end of the day, have no friends, have no accountability, have no honesty, have no transparency. They might go to a church and they might go to a big church, but at the end of the day, they're all alone. And they're fighting the fight all alone. We need to have relationships to the point that would say, if they're too strong for me, will you help me? And if they're too strong for you, I'll help you. That's the type of teamwork and togetherness and fellowship and companionship that we need if we're interested in victory. We can't fight alone. There's absolutely no way. You know, when I think of this, I think, and I'll be honest with you, I think of, of people coming to church, and, and you might even come to a church like this, but in all reality, you're alone. And you want to know why, why I say that? Because there's no honesty in your life. You're a different person when you're not here. And no one knows it except you, and they can't help you. Because you're not, there's no transparency in your life. And if there's no transparency, and if there's no honesty, and if there's no accountability, let me tell you this. There will be no victory in your life. And you're like, well, that's okay. You know, some people are like that. I'm going to live it anyways, because I just, I don't want to open up. I don't want to be honest. I don't want to be transparent. I don't want to be accountable. Then you will never grow. You will never grow. And that's why a lot of times people, they're just hitting their wall, head against the wall, that same wall over and over and over again. And then I see this person over here, and it's so cool to see the way that they say, hey, I'm struggling with this. Can you guys keep me in prayer? Next thing you know, you've got a slew of brothers or sisters that are there and they're praying like crazy and they're fasting. And then God begins to do a work in that man and in that marriage. Because when it was too hard for them, you know, how's anyone supposed to know? Sometimes it's not easily seen. Sometimes you see it later and, you know, God allows us to intervene. You know, there's a, a real cool scripture if you want to mark here and go uh, to the right. Page 832. No, I'm just joking. Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes chapter 4. And 
it's a it's a it's a beautiful passage. I'm sure you're, you're most of you are, are familiar with it. But look what it says. It says two are better than one. Uh, Ecclesiastes four verse nine. Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor. For if they fall, one will lift up his companion. But woe to him who is alone when he falls, for he has no one to help him. You see, and of course we're talking about Christian companionship. We're talking about a friend who's close enough to you to see you when you fall and who loves you enough to, to lift you up, right? I mean, he goes on to say, again, if two lie down together, they will keep warm, and that's for people who are married, so wait until you get married or you're going to be in big trouble. But how can one be warm alone? And though one may be overpowered by another, two can withstand him, and a threefold cord is not quickly broken. I mean, the enemy sometimes, he overpowers people because they're all alone. Man, how important it is that we have the same plan that Joab had with his brother and his brethren there in the battle in First Chronicles chapter 19. And, and not only the, the teamwork, but notice how we're to be. Back in First Chronicles 19, he said, if the Syrians are too strong for me, then you shall help me. And you can read Galatians 6, 1 and 2. You read that later. Then you shall help me. But if the people of Ammon are too strong for you, then I will help you. And he says, be of good courage and let us be strong. I like that. I mean, I'm not afraid. You shouldn't, we shouldn't be afraid anymore. I love that song we were singing. It just, man, I was like, thank you, Lord. Though the oceans may rage, I will not be afraid. You know, and things happen in, in our life, in our church, in our ministry, things happen, and the, the agenda of our adversary is to strike fear into our heart. Why? Because the enemy knows that fear and faith are mutually exclusive, and the enemy knows that faith is the key. Faith is what moves mountains. Faith is what allows me to walk on water. Faith is not fear. And so I don't know what you might be going through tonight. Can I just say to you, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid because God is working all things for good to those who love him. I love Romans 8.28. And that goes for me and that goes for everybody else. But it goes for me, no offense. But I'm going to take that to heart for me and this ministry and my family. And we're not afraid. He says, don't be afraid. Be of good courage. He says right there, there to, to be strong. You know, and, and, and we know that the only way we could be strong is if we are strong in the Lord. You know, and the only way I'm going to be strong in the Lord, if I could just say this to you, is if I'm walking in, in faith and obedience. Faith. And obedience. I'm going to say that over and over again because I want you guys to know 
how you can be strong in God's strength, not your strength, not man's strength, not the strength of numbers. That's what the Syrians will have later. Not the strength of money. That's what the Ammonites have now. That's not what we're looking for. That doesn't really rock the kingdom of God. That doesn't make that spiritual fruit No, it's the faith in God. His strength comes by faith and obedience. If you're living in disobedience, you will not experience the power of God. If you're living in doubt, you will not experience the power of God. And let me ask you a question. Why don't you want to walk in the power of God? You know, I think one of the ways that we can really tell whether or not we have faith is do we pray? And I tell you, man, there are things in this world and there is that television and there are whatever, video games. I don't know what it is, but there are things that sap us of the strength of Almighty God. And so what does he want? He says, you got to walk in Courage and strength. Ephesians 6.10, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Right? Uh, 1 Corinthians 16.13, Watch and stand fast in the faith. Be brave. Just be strong. We see the same thing in Daniel 11.32. I love what he says. Those who know their God shall be strong and carry out great exploits. Just in case you're here today, and you've blown it, and you've sinned, it's not over yet. There's grace in the Lord Jesus Christ. And there is forgiveness. And I love what Paul says to Timothy, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. God is the God of the second chance. God is the God who hasn't given me what I deserve. But if you hear him calling you higher, if you hear him tonight awakening your soul, then come to him. Respond to what God wants to do. I mean, look what we're fighting for. Be of good courage and let us be strong for our people and for the cities of our God. I mean, you may not, well, I'm not the pastor. It doesn't matter. You're a member of this church. You're a part of this church. And we all are are mighty men and, and women and you need to be of courage and, and strength for the people, for all these people, and for the cities of our God. Our God has called us here. Our God has called us to Cambodia. Our God has called us to Mexico. Our God is influencing the surrounding cities. And I believe God can win cities to his glory. We are fighting for the people. We are fighting. I love Nehemiah 4.14 where it says, Do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord great and awesome and fight for 
your brethren, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your houses. I mean, we're fighting for that, right? I mean, wouldn't you say that this is a battle worth fighting for? It's a battle that in, in, in many ways we cannot, we must not lose. I am fighting for my wife. I am fighting for my daughter. I am fighting for my son. And, and, you know, we, a lot of times we think, well, you know, then they better get their act together. And it's true. But I better get my act together. Because at the end of the day, that's what's going to matter. I think in so many ways, what happens is the effect of ministry is overflowing based on, on who I am. Your integrity and your character and your godliness they will win your family. Not your manipulation. Not you yelling at them or intimidating them. Your godliness will. And that's how we're fighting. We're fighting. And so that was the battle plan going into it. And at the end, he says right there, and may the Lord do what is good in his sight. And so... The Lord's going to do what's good, huh? The only question is, in, in whose sight? <laughs> You're like, I don't know. I don't like the way this ended up. Well, maybe I didn't like the way it ended up earlier either. Maybe I would have wrote a different script, a different ending. But it doesn't matter. What matters is what's good in his sight. And sometimes we see the victories and they're so obvious and sometimes they're they come to us in disguise. Oh, you wanted that guy and you wanted that girl? And that guy and that girl, they were not good for you. Well, they were good in my sight, yeah, but they weren't good in God's sight. May the Lord do what's good in his sight. You just do your best, commit the rest. You seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then let everything fall into place. Trust him. And so we read in verse 14, Joab and the people who were with him, they drew near for the battle against the Syrians, and they fled before him. When the people of Ammon saw that the Syrians were fleeing, they also fled before Abishai, his brother, and entered the city. And so Joab went to Jerusalem. Now, if you'll notice closely right there, Joab first started winning. And then when Joab started winning, the enemies in front of Abishai were intimidated and fearful, and they fled. And then next thing you know, Abishai starts winning, right? But it began with the victory of Joab, right? And then when the Syrians saw that they had been defeated by Israel, and here's what I was telling you about earlier, that it kind of grows, <laughs> They had sent messengers and brought the Syrians who were beyond the river. And Shofak, the commander of Hadadazar's army, went before them. When it was told David, he gathered all Israel now, crossed over the Jordan, came upon them, and set up in battle array against them. So when David had set up in battle array against the Syrians, they fought with him. And then the Syrians fled before Israel. And David killed 7,000 chariotiers and 40,000 foot soldiers of the Syrians and 
killed Shophak, the commander of the army. And when the servants of Hadadazar saw that they were defeated by Israel, they, notice this, this is interesting, they made peace with David and became his servants. Now let me just say this to you real quick. Not all of the enemies of Israel made peace with them and became their servants. These Syrians did, right? So the Syrians were not willing to help the people of Ammon anymore. What happened, you guys? Great victory. Rooted in the promises of God that said in the law of Moses, if my people obey me, then their enemies They served David. And so we read next in chapter 20, it happened in the spring of the year at the time kings go out to battle that Joab led out the armed forces and ravaged the country of the people of Ammon and came and, and besieged Rabbah. But David stayed at Jerusalem and Joab defeated Rabbah and overthrew it. And then David took their king's crown from his head and found it to weigh a talent of gold and there were precious stones in it and it was set on David's head. Also he brought out the spoil of the city in great abundance. And he brought out the people who were in it, put them to work with saws, with iron picks and with axes. And so David did to all the cities of the people of Ammon and then David and all the people returned to Jerusalem. And so, if you read the story in chapter 19, the people of Ammon, they went back into their city. And so that's what happened to the Ammonites. And so, the next season of war, we read in chapter 20, uh, Joab returns, and he besieges the city. He surrounds it, most people believe, for two years. He surrounds it. Now, just in case you're wondering, in 2 Samuel chapter 11, that's when David stayed home. And he didn't go into the battle. And that's when he fell with Bathsheba, right? But after two years, that entire terrible story took its course. David had returned to the Lord. And now, as they're just about to conquer this capital of Ammon, uh, Joab calls David and he says, hey, if you don't come on and claim the city for myself. And so David gets over there. And by the time David gets there, he claims the city. He puts the crown on. Guess how, how much the crown weighed? 75 pounds. Can you imagine weighing, wearing a crown 75 pounds? Crazy, huh? <laughs> heavy. Heavy. All leaders have a heavy responsibility right and so what happens next in verse 4 it happened afterward that war broke out at Gezer with the Philistines at which time Sibachai the Hushathite killed Sipai, who was one of the sons of the giant and they were subdued again there was war with the Philistines and Elhanan the son of Jair killed Lammi the brother of Goliath the Gittite the shaft of whose spear was like a weaver's beam. Yet again, there was war at Gath, where there was a man of great stature 
with 24 fingers and toes. Think about that. Six on each hand and six on each foot. And he was born to the giant. So when he defied Israel, Jonathan, the son of Shimei, David's brother, killed him. These were born to the giant in Gath, and they fell by the hand of David and by the hand of his servants. And so the last section right here in closing, but don't, don't tune out yet, okay? Don't fall asleep yet, okay? Because it's got a pretty interesting ending. The last uh, country he deals with is the Philistines, and the Philistines have a way of multiplying giants. Giants, right? And it's cool when you look at this, you see how David's mighty men, they begin to slay the giants. You know, when I think of that, for those of you who know your Bible just a little bit, what a long way God's army had come. Remember way back in 1 Samuel chapter 17 when the giant Goliath, that Philistine, said, I defy the armies of Israel this day. He said, give me a man that we may fight together. And the Bible says, when Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. And they were sitting on the sidelines, shaking in their boots. No one was willing to fight the giants then. But now, it's a different army. God was working in this army. God was raising up a different army. God was working in Israel. They were under different leadership now. Their leader was faithful, not perfect, but proper. Their leader was not fearful. Their leader loved the Lord. Their leader was an example to them. And therefore, their leader brought out the best in them. And that's what happened. When you see these guys killing giants, you see, well, that's kind of the way it works, isn't it? I mean, for those of us who are leaders here, and that goes for all leaders, I mean, you might be a, you know, a ministry leader, a group leader, you might be a mom, you might be a dad, you might be a coach or an employer. You, we need to understand the principle of leadership and the influence of leadership that they will usually end up like us. Even if you tell them not to, well, don't do it like me. Well, if you don't want us to do it like you, then don't do it that way, you know? Why? Because a lot of times the principle of leadership is they will end up like us, good or bad. You know, if you're a leader, what if everyone you aspire to lead ends up like you? What if? I mean, what if they work the way you work? What if they give their tithes and offerings the way you give your tithes and offerings? What if they pray the way you pray? What if they serve like you? What if they worship the way you do or their marriage is like yours? What if they treat their wife the way you treat your wife as a leader or kids? What if they face their giants and their challenges and their impossible situations the way that you do? You see, the influence of leadership is so important. 
How would God's army be if you were the one leading the way? Luke 6.40, it gives us that principle. It says, a disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone who is perfectly trained is like his teacher. And I just pray that if you're a leader here today, if you're called to be a leader, that that would serve not as intimidation, but as inspiration. What kind of man do I want my son to be? What kind of minister do I want God to raise up in this church? Let me be that type of man. That's what David did. And then what ended up happening is men like uh, Sebekah, even though he has a funny name, you know, he killed uh, the giant there in verse 4. And then there's Elhanan. His name means God has been gracious and Another one of the mighty warriors in First Chronicles eleven twenty six, and he kills this guy. Notice it says right there, who was one of the sons of the giant. They were subdued, and then he killed Labmi, the brother of Goliath, the Gittite, the shaft of whose spear was like a weaver's beam. Where have you heard that before? The shaft of whose spear was like, that was Goliath, right? And it, it, it talked about this spear that he had, and and the spearhead that he had that was like a, it weighed the equivalent of a sledgehammer. For, so those of you guys who know what a sledgehammer is, imagine it, your sword being that heavy. These are, these are big guys. They're bigger. And they're bigger. Next thing you know, David's nephew's fighting a guy that has 24 you know, fingers and toes. He was a man that says of mighty stature. It was greater enemies. You see, and that's what's going to happen in our life. And so if we're going to face greater enemies, we're going to require a greater faith. Huh? We're going to have to grow until you come to that place where what? Where you're defeated. And I just pray that none of us would ever, I pray we would be repulsed by the thought of living a life of Christianity that has any element of defeat in our days. You know, and looking at this right here, I think it's amazing. You know, and I'm going to just go out and just share with you you guys this thing in in closing, okay? Um, The Ammonites, they're a picture of the flesh. And you guys know what the flesh is, right? That's you. That's our sinful nature, that's the ways that we're, we malfunction, that we're broken, our, our wicked tendencies, and all of us here are different. You've got to defeat your flesh. You've got to murder your flesh, or it will murder you. That's the Ammonites. You can bring the Ammonites to a place where it says right there, where they serve you. I'm not talking about your sinful nature. I'm talking about your body. And so you bring your body into subjection. And, and then the, 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 the Syrians, I'm sorry, are the flesh. And then the, the, the Ammonites are a picture of the world. And what we see right here, look what it says in, in verse 20, chapter 20, verse 1. And Joab defeated Rabbah 
and overthrew it. See, that's what Jesus will do with the world. You know, the Bible says in John 16, 33, in this world, you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer, for I've overcome, I've overthrown the world. Some people, they get defeated by their flesh, and that's all, that's all you need. You're a done deal. Other people, it takes a little bit more, and then next thing you know, the influence of the world and the Ammonites and the Syrians, they're working together to defeat you. And there is an influence in this world. And there is a mentality in this world. And there are lies in this world, the lies of Lucifer, that will try to defeat us. And we have to bring every thought into captivity. And we have to make sure that we are not conformed to this world. That's the Ammonites. And then the last one, the Philistines. I'll let you guess. Who do you think they are? Those are those demons. And we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but we do wrestle against principalities and powers. Isn't it funny that the Philistines now are the only ones that are mentioned as far as the nature of who they are? And what ends up happening? Like David, when he came you know, against the giant. And he came against Goliath. And he said, I don't come at you with, you know, sword or spear or javelin. You know, I come today in the name of the Lord of hosts. And I will take you and I'm going to cut off your head. I'm going to feed it to the birds. What is that? It's called faith faith. And what we see in David is something that is, is just so contagious, you guys. And I pray that in reading this right here, it would, it would just it would spread. It would spread. We don't have to be defeated by the flesh, the world, or any hosts of demons. Not anymore. God give us the victory. You know, God allowed this um, to be, if I could use the word, with David, it kind of became infectious, huh? I mean, it sure is funny. No one's wanting to kill giants. Now all of a sudden, they start hanging out with David, and they start wanting to kill giants, right? What happened? They caught it from David. And let me just close with this little bit of information that I think it kind of serves two purposes. Number one, it helps you not catch the flu. And number two, it helps you catch something else. Because I know right now we're living in flu season. And, and you guys kind of know, um, do you guys know how to catch the flu? You're like, I don't want to know. Well, it's actually good to know. Uh, they say 20% of Americans who catch the flu this season, um, they shake a lot of hands <laughs> with people, right? Uh, I don't know if you guys knew this, but an adult can spread the virus one day before and three to seven days after the symptoms show. They say kids are contagious even longer. But did you know that the most commonly uh, way, the most common way that the flu is, uh, is, is given to others is through air in liquid droplets from coughs and sneezes? Did you guys know that? 
Viruses apparently prefer the wintry conditions of cold air with low humidity. In humid air, what ends up happening is the droplets grow heavy with water and they just fall to the ground. That's why in humid areas of this world, there is virtually no flu. Why? Because of the way that it travels through the droplets in the air. And so here's the way that you don't catch the flu, okay? Or at least you don't spread it. Because I'm telling you guys this because I have the flu. No, I'm just joking. I have pneumonia. <laughs> it's all right. It doesn't matter. No, I'll tell you guys this. Um, <laughs> number one, always cover your mouth and nose when you sneeze or cough. Right, Aaron? Right. Number two, throw used tissues away immediately. Number three, wash your hands often, especially after you sneeze, cough, or touch your eyes, nose, or mouth. Number four, keep your distance from others in that you don't hug, kiss, or stand so close to them that it might get on you, speaking of saliva, uh, when they talk. Another thing is to disinfect your toys and your counters. And so you're like, Manny, why are you telling us this? Because I don't want you to get the flu, for one. But number two, you see how, how, how it's transferred through fellowship, through proximity, through closeness. What my prayer is, because in looking at David's life, I was like, Lord, I want this to transfer to me. I want to be a man after your own heart. I want to have victory over the giants, over the Ammonites, over the Syrians, over the Philistines. And so, Lord, tonight, if I could just say it in this way, let that fall on this congregation, not in physical air, but in that spiritual dimension that I believe is here tonight. I believe it's like this air, this truth that just passes before us. That if you want to, you can reach out with your eyes and your hands and of faith and you bring it to your heart. And you say to the Lord, we say to the Lord tonight, God, I want, I want that for my life. Lord, infect me. Affect me, Lord, tonight by faith with this. Because I don't want to be defeated by the flesh, the world, or the enemy. And Lord, today I make a resolution to be transparent and honest and not alone any longer. And Lord, help us as a church. If it's too strong for me, will you help me? And if it's too strong for you, will you let me help you? And let's see what the Lord might do. Lord, I thank you so much for the power of your We hope you were encouraged by this study. If you have any questions, please call us at Calvary Chapel El Monte at air code 626-454-34. One, four. Remember that Jesus loves you.